The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning. We're in a study of the book of Isaiah. Does anybody remember what his name means? What does Isaiah mean? Anybody remember? It's the salvation of Jehovah. And you would think, why would God name somebody the salvation of Jehovah? Well, let me give you the context of the book of Isaiah. Here it is. So the first seven chapters, all you see in there is tremendous disobedience. I mean, you see people following other gods. You see people going the wrong way. You see the, the nations at war. I mean, it was a mess. And right in the middle of this, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah gets a picture of God himself. And we find out that God sitting on a throne is an immense God of infinite power, speaking in thunder, moving in strength. And we, we find out this is a God of incredible wrath, a God of power, a God of judgment. And so Isaiah sitting there thinking, you know, wondering, and my name is the salvation of, of the Lord. How, how can a God like this do anything but just wipe out the race, the human race. So he's in a conundrum here. Then all of a sudden, the rest of the book of Isaiah, you begin to have in shadow form this ever-growing revelation of God's love, of how God is going to bring salvation to a people who really don't deserve it whatsoever. And this picture of the coming Messiah grows brighter and brighter and brighter as we go through the book. Now, the book of Isaiah has these pictures. Jesus is called the servant of God, and we have these uh, four songs of the servant, okay? So they're on Isaiah 42, 1 to 7, these four servant songs, and they're compared to the idols of the day. Behold, the idols are all vanity, but in, in terms of comparison and contrast, these four servant songs, we see, Behold, my servant. So the first one, Isaiah 42, is the servant of justice. That God, this God of, of Isaiah chapter 6, will bring justice. He is all-knowing, all-powerful. Uh, he is the perfect, just judge. God of justice. Secondly, the servant of light. He is a light. He will bring light to the world. And uh, he explains that he will bring, have this ministry of bringing light to darkness. He will bring liberty, those who are captives set at liberty, and he will give hope to those who are discouraged. Now, the servant song that we're going to look at today is the servant teacher. This is the one who will bring truth to all humanity, to all humanity who needs the truth, and this is the truth that will bring life and hope and set people free. And there's one more. We looked at this actually uh, right at Easter, uh, the, day, the weekend before Easter, the suffering servant of Isaiah 52:53. We not only see how he suffered, but why the suffering was necessary. So today I want us to look at this third servant song. And actually, the servant song is my life passage. When I went through Dallas Seminary, I wrote this down, and I have it in the, at the front of all my Bibles. It's my, my favorite passage. It's, it's the passage which underscores the mission of my life. And here it is. Uh, it, it's about what God's Word will do in and through people's lives and 
who God is calling to proclaim this this uh, very word. It doesn't apply just to pastors. I mean, if you have children, you teach children, right? If you're in a disciple-making relationship, you're teaching uh, a disciple. Uh, if there's somebody that you're talking to, in a sense, you're teaching, so it's very applicable to every single one of us. But especially now, this is the picture of Jesus, the ultimate teacher, and a wonderful example to anybody who would ever desire uh, to teach as well. Let me read the passage, Isaiah 54 to 7. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to stain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced, therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. And you think, why would, in the book of Isaiah, when you're talking about the salvation of Jehovah, why would there be such an incredible weight placed on this position of teaching? Why would it be included in one of the four servant songs along with the God of justice and, and uh, the, the suffering Messiah. And why would it be placed here? I mean, there was, I could think of so many other things that could be placed here other than, than teaching. Well, what I'd like to do is to look at this passage out of 2 Timothy 3.16, and I think we'll understand why it is so important. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's the scripture that's breathed out by God that's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Now, usually we memorize those verses and we don't look at the context. We don't see what follows. But immediately now, I, based upon that, that scripture is inspired by God, it's competent for all of life, Look at the next command from the Apostle Paul. This is a, it's not an option, it's a command. I charge you. Now look at the context of the command. I charge you in the very presence of God. I charge you in the presence of Christ Jesus himself. He doesn't just stop there. I charge you in the presence of God, of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And he's coming again in his appearing and in his kingdom. Okay, so what's the command? Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. When I graduated from Dallas Seminary, I'm sure Doug has the same thing and others who graduated from Dallas Seminary, the, the motto is, Preach the word, Karutzan Tan Logan. And it's written right on the side of my ring with 2 Timothy 4.2. Why is it so critical? Because it's the word of God that can change our lives. 
transforms life. It's, it's the Word of God that can bring salvation. It's the Word of God that is all-powerful. It is the Word of God that sets us free. It's the Word of God that can defeat sin, prepares for service, that can bless our lives, that it can equip us to bless the lives of others. It's the Word of God that reveals His will. And Isaiah now describes the perfect teacher. Obviously, it's a picture of the servant song of Jesus Himself, but it's certainly instructive to all of us as well. Please understand that this is not just a message for those back then. It's absolutely a message to us. When God revealed to Isaiah in the midst of a world that was spinning out of control, when, when God revealed himself to Isaiah, God then yells out to him, cry, cry. And he says, what should I cry? He says, look, look around you. All flesh is grass. All of its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower's going to fade. But it's the word of God that will stand forever. So in this passage, we're going to see not only the servant teacher who is the ultimate teacher who speaks the truth that will transform lives and usher forth the salvation of Jehovah, we will also see the consequence for those who either heed it or disobey it. Let's look at the credibility. What is the authority to teach? I pray for all of us if if you teach in any context, if you're a parent and you're working with your kids or a Sunday school class or, or a one-on-one discipleship kind of a situation uh, or your next-door neighbor, you are, in, an, in essence, a teacher here. So let's look at the tongue of the teacher. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught. It could be translated an instructed tongue, the tongue of a teacher, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. It's an extremely rich word. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but it's speech that becomes part of the nature of the communicator himself or herself. It suggests disciplined learning. This is not the kind of teaching that is a feeling. It's not an experience, and it's not a feeling. It's not, well, my opinion is so-and-so, or the way I feel about it is so-and-so. That's not this word whatsoever. It is it was something that I heard, I learned from God himself. I'm not winging it. It's God's word that is flowing through his life, and it's flowing through a life that has been internalized. And it impacts people very directly. Jesus obviously was the master communicator. Jesus in no way was motivated to entertain people. You never, ever, ever in the gospel see Jesus entertaining people with his speech. Everything was designed to penetrate the heart, to penetrate the soul. And it was done through scriptures. And if we listen to him, we will be just as impacted as people who sat in his very presence 2,000 years ago. He spoke to the weary. He spoke to the spiritually bankrupt. He recognized their deep needs. Uh, others were oblivious to it, but he, he spoke directly. And when the Spirit of God opened their ears to hear, their lives were transformed. So Jesus said, Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. So he spoke with purpose and he wanted to bring refreshment. He wanted to bring sustenance and he wanted to heal the human heart. Jehovah is salvation. That's the tongue, the ear of the teacher. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord has opened my ear. Obviously, listening requires, uh, our learning requires listening, and it requires submissive attention. Jesus was submissive to the Father. He heard from the Father morning by morning. That implies that it's a priority in his life. Uh, morning by morning. That's, it was su- such a priority. The first thing he did was listen to God. You see Jesus constantly breaking away. And it's not that corporate, corporate teaching, corporate instruction is bad. We're instructed to do that as well. But it doesn't, take the repl- the, the, it doesn't replace our time morning by morning listening, hearing directly uh, from God. For I have not spoken on my own authority, Jesus said, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. He has told me what to say and what to speak. In other words, he says, I'm not going to say anything that God has not told me to say or to speak. What's the will? That's the, the tongue and the ear of the teacher. What about the will? And this is what's going to surprise you. Because what, we're, what we think is that, okay, God's going to speak. I'm going to put myself in a position to really hear from the Lord. I'm going to hear him speak. I understand the importance of what he says. And I'm going to hear it. And now I'm going to take that and I'm going to share it with others. But that's not the process at all. Because here we have the will of the teacher. So this is, this is a surprise here. So Isaiah moves to the will. And when he talks about the will, he is talking about the place of suffering in the life of the teacher and the willingness to submit to the suffering in obedience to the Heavenly Father. So, you know, we, we tend to focus, we tend to, get, to focus on, okay, I, I want the truth, I want to get it somehow through podcasts, through books, through, through pastors teaching, I'm going to get it, I want to listen to it, digest it. Now, oh, I want to, now I want to go share it with somebody else. That's how we think. And yet, that's not at all what happens. Jesus, the perfect teacher, the perfect communicator, said that, no, something else has to transpire so that the vehicle is authentic that it's, it's transformed and it's authentic so that it can have a platform by which to share this, this truth. So notice he goes on to say, I was not rebellious. So this shows his willingness to submit. I was not rebellious. I turn not backward. See the obedience there, the obedience to obey the word personally himself. I, now look at it, his obedience and submission to suffering. I gave my back to those who strike. I gave my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and suffering and spitting. So these verses now begin to transform our conception of what we perceive to being the path 
to teaching. The path to teaching is certainly I expose myself to the truth. I want to hear from God, from his word, from, from godly teachers. I want to hear it. I want to internalize it. But now it's not just, okay, now I want to take that and share it. I personally am not going to rebel. I personally am not going to turn backward. I am going to be submissive personally to that truth even in the face of pain and suffering. I'm going to do the truth and I'm going to obey the truth even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of suffering. That then will provide the platform by which the teacher can communicate the truth. Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father. And he was willing to submit to rejection. He was willing to submit to physical abuse. He, he could have called a legion of angels and just chopped them all down in a heartbeat. He was willing to submit to pain, to psychological humiliation, to torment, to torture, to being beaten, to having his, his beard pulled out. In effect, Jesus was saying, I didn't turn away from the mental or from the emotional abuse. I didn't turn away from the verbal insults. I didn't turn away from the humiliation of being spit upon. I didn't turn my face aside. I allowed even my enemies to take their very best shot and to spit in my face. Jesus could endure all that through these sufferings because he knew that they were designed by God to prepare him to enhance his ultimate ministry of reconciliation. It was through that context that people could then really begin to see the power and the fullness of the gospel itself. See, God's intention is to use the crucible of pain and suffering to shape us, to polish us, to prepare us, to hone us so that we can be an instrument meet for the master's use. And God is sovereignly, lovingly preparing and equipping each one of us to be that instrument to bring God glory and blessing to others as we share the word with others. Why this is so critical to, to be in here is that typically what we'll do is if we see somebody going through pain or suffering, we dismiss them. We go, oh, they must not be a man or a woman of faith. Oh, so, something must be wrong with them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be going through what they're going through. It's exactly what the Jews said of Jesus. Couldn't be the Messiah. Look what he's going through. Couldn't be, the, couldn't be the one. It's exactly the disciples in John chapter 9. Exactly the disciples. When they saw this man that was born blind, the first thing out of their mouths was, well, Jesus, who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents that he was born blind? Jesus said, no, neither. He said, I'm preparing this guy to bring glory to God. It wasn't because of sin. 
Jesus didn't disqualify himself by going through suffering and pain, humiliation. The one who is this servant song went through it to communicate to us that he can be trusted. He can empathize with human pain. He can empathize with human suffering. He can speak with authority to every human condition. His suffering enabled him to identify with everything we could possibly go through. Well, what could help him through? What could help this teacher? I mean, if he, if you and I are to communicate the very truths of God and to do it through a life that's bathed in difficulties to prepare that platform, I hope we have some resources to lean upon. That's verses 7 and 9. I want you to see three great themes revolve through these next three verses. What we're going to see are these. I think they're in your notes. The person of God to trust in. The power of God to rely on. And the presence of God to rest in. The person of God, the power of God, and the presence of God. Let me read this and just let's underscore and then we'll look at each one individually. But the Lord God, there's that person to trust in. The Lord God helps. See his power? Me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I've set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me, you see his presence there? He's near to me. There's his presence. Who will contend? with me. Let us stand up together. Presence to rest in. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold the person, the Lord God. Power helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Let's look at these three. The person of God to trust in. Four times, and it's only, this is the only servant song. There are four of them that prepare us to look at Jesus. This is the only one that uses this, these two words to call our attention to who God is. Jehovah Adonai. Jehovah or Yahweh Adonai. The Lord God. The sovereign God. One of the greatest Hebrew scholars of all time, Girdlestone, put it this way. When you put those two words together, what it means is this. That God is the absolute owner of every member of every family in, in the human race. And that he claims unrestricted obedience from all. Yahweh Adonai. Unrestricted obedience from all. Yahweh, the first word. That's the personal name for God. It's the most common word used for God 5,321 times. Uh, the covenant name for God, the self-contained God who is the power over all creation. 
used in conjunction, conjunction with a word that's not used very frequently, Adonai. This name carries the idea of the most supreme authority and supreme ownership. It's used in the Bible only when the utmost reverence is to be expressed and the utmost obedience is required. This is the God that Isaiah sees. This is the God of, of Isaiah chapter 6. This is the God who is so huge, so big, he demands supreme authority, supreme ownership, absolute reverence and obedience. So Jesus says, I'm not afraid. This is, this is my father. How could I be afraid to tell the truth? When this is my father, and these words are his words, he's telling me what to say. I can speak boldly. I can live boldly because Yahweh God, the God of the universe, is to be revered, totally trustworthy, totally able to be counted upon. He's the one who gives me the confidence to leave, to, to obey unhesitatingly. And his reverence should be unchallenged. That's the person that Isaiah says, the servant of the Lord will rely upon. Every one of us as believers, this is our God. The power of God to rely on. So... In this section, verses 7 to 9, you know, Jesus is absolutely convinced of what God is going to do for him. He knows that this power, that God is going to help him. He knows that it doesn't matter going through pain and suffering. God will vindicate me. He will exonerate my name. He will save my reputation. He will triumph over evil. God's power can be relied on. And there's so many verses. I have a number of them there in your outline that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power to go about doing the good. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. The power of the Spirit of God fulfills the ministry of the gospel of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. He was crucified in weakness, but lives, how? By the power of God. That's how we live. We live with him by the power of God. We can have the same confidence. We have the person of God to trust in. Yahweh Adonai to trust in. We have the power of God to rely on. We have the presence of God to rest in. Notice these verses, 7, 8, and 9. Every single one of them begin with the present tense. For the Lord God helps me. He who vindicates me. He's here. He's, he's with me now. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Again, present tense. We can be confident. Folks, listen. It is not, it has nothing to do with our intellect. 
It has nothing to do with our uh, ability to speak well or not speak well. It has nothing to do with our ability to hold attention of audiences, to technology, to gimmicks. It, it is totally resting in the absolute confidence in the power of God. He is the one who can capture people's minds and emotions and hearts and wills and souls. That, that, that's, that's, why, that's why Paul tells Timothy, you know, in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of the one who will judge the living and the dead, who's coming again, preach the word, because it's the thing that has the power. The tongue, the lip, but the will, the will. He will do it through a life that has been in the crucible. Let me show you the two responses to the message. Humanity is divided in this passage into two groups. It's not the religious and the irreligious. It's not the good and the bad. It's not the naughty and the nice. It's not Democrats, Republicans. It's the world is divided into two groups. When you think of who God is, Yahweh Adonai, who demands supreme reverence and obedience and trust, the world is divided into those who obey his voice and to those who don't. That's the division of the whole world. Those who obey, those who don't. Verse 10 speaks to believers. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who... And he's not saying, if you're a believer, you're not going to go through tough times. I mean, we all go through those very difficult times. Uh, let him who walks in the darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God, the person of God, the power of God, the, the presence of God. But verse 11 is alarming for those who choose to disobey the servant sent from God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches and walk by the light of your own fire and by the torches that you have kindled. In other words, you're thinking, ah, I'm not going to follow that God. I'm going to light my own torch and follow, follow my own path. It says, this you have from my hand. This, this is the servant speaking. This is what you will have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. There are a lot of pastors I really respect and admire, but I cringe whenever I hear hell described as well, it's just, you know, if people really don't believe, they just sort of follow the path of their disbelief. And they get what they think they're getting. I think this is so foreign to Isaiah. Because, I mean, the first picture of the servant 
is one of vengeance and wrath, Genesis 6. And the servant, the Messiah, says, you're going to have this from my hand. You will lie down in torment. God always gives us the right of choice-making. I'm not saying people don't have a freedom to choose. God always gives you the right of choice-making, but never the right of consequence choosing. <laughs> now, I t- I'll tell you right now, you're going, your mind is going a mile a minute. You're going, Jeff, are you kidding me? Is this, is this really right? I mean, come on, there's got to be more to this story than what you're articulating. Because you're thinking in your own mind, look, I, I really, I love Jesus. I, I love Jesus. I want to respond to Jesus. But Jeff, there's so many times in my life I don't do the things I know I should do. And I do the very things I know I shouldn't do. And so we're just like the Apostle Paul in Romans 6 and 7. Wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this bondage of, of death? I'm at the point, well, I guess I'm just doomed because I don't always obey. I think I want to, and, and many times I try and I, and I fail. What about me? What's going to happen to me? Gosh, I'm so glad you're there. I'm so glad you're asking that question because that's the fourth servant song. God has finally got us right where he wants us, and then he reveals the fourth servant song. The song of the suffering servant that reveals God's love. And Jehovah's salvation finally were prepared to see him step off the page. The ultimate answer, especially to those who struggle with the truth and struggle to obey. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he was born, isn't this good? Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken. We esteemed him smitten of God and afflicted. That's exactly what verse 11 says was supposed to happen. And Jesus got it for us in our place. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And upon him the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. And then Isaiah just says exactly what we've all felt going through verse 11. All we like sheep have gone astray. None of us have abated. None of us deserve it. We've all like sheep gone astray. But 
Yahweh Adonai has now laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's the message of Isaiah. That's the salvation of the Lord. Human rebelliousness and helplessness that you see in the first seven chapters of Isaiah is not solved by might or by power or by human will or by rugged individualism or by self-determination, but it is solved by suffering love. And when the heart responds by opening up, the power of God is poured into that life. And that life is not only forgiven, but transformed. Gosh, where are we to look for men and women who will bring this kind of message and hope? I'll tell you where this person will not be found. This person will not be found in the seat who fulfills or fills the seat of the presidency in the White House. That's not the answer. It's not going to be who fills the Senate or who fills the legislature or who makes up the Supreme Court. I'm not saying that that's not important. Don't don't misread me. I'm not saying that's not important, but ultimately that is not the answer to human issues and problems and helplessness. The answer is going to be found from just normal people like you and me. Who can, from a transformed life, speak the word of God to men and women whose lives are spinning out of control? It's going to come from men and women who, by the grace of God, have experienced forgiveness and salvation and are committed to the truth of the Scriptures and willing to tell the truth from a platform of a life that has endured the crucible. Let's all stand together and I'll close with a word of prayer. Lord, I just ask if there's anybody here who has never surrendered to this perfect teacher, Jesus, please understand that everything that was designed for you was born by him. All of the suffering and pain that Isaiah talks about in verse 11 This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Those arrows were shot at Jesus instead of you. That pain was borne by Jesus instead of you. If you've never accepted the the forgiveness and the salvation of Jehovah that comes through Jesus, talked about so many, many years ago through this prophet Isaiah, I pray that you would turn to him and in faith receive him as your Lord and as your Savior. Help us all, Lord, to trust in your person, to rely on your power and to rest 
in your presence. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.